You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Wall Street Journal personal technology columnist Walt Mossberg goes on the record online. There's 1,200 news people at the New York Times. There's 600 news people at the Wall Street Journal. There's got to be hundreds or thousands of people just as good who didn't happen to get a job there. And the fact that we have lowered the barrier to entry for, uh, you know, for publishing means that some of those people are going to get hurt and read, and that's cool. And thank you for joining me for another episode of On the Record Online. Uh, If this is your first time listening to the show, uh, this is the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. We explore the worlds of media uh, and semiotics through in-depth one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as from time to time, discussions with influential bloggers and podcasters and newsmakers on the subject of how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as we know it. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. I am the founder and president of iPressroom Corporation. Uh, We have software that helps companies integrate the web into their marketing communications and PR initiatives, and we also have professional services for helping companies apply that software to their business. I'm also personally and professionally interested in how technology and the internet are changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Today we have a one-on-one interview with Walt Mossberg. He is the personal technology columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, He writes every Thursday on the uh, left-hand column of the Marketplace section, on the cover of the Marketplace section. Now, Newsweek magazine calls Mr. Mossberg, quote, the most powerful arbiter of consumer tastes in the computer world today. Uh, Time magazine calls him, quote, the most influential computer journalist, and Rolling Stone calls him, quote, the most powerful columnist in technology. Now, if that's not enough, the Washington Post calls him, quote, one of the most powerful men in the high-tech world and, quote, a one-man media empire whose pros can launch a new product. And uh, those of you in the, in the PR business uh, know this to be true. If you have suggestions for guests who you'd like to hear on the show in the future, we welcome your comments, suggestions, and feedback on the blog at www.spinfluencer.com. You can post your, uh, your feedback as a comment there. Um, you can also send email to eric at ontherecordpodcast.com. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the show, uh, the easiest place to get it is www.ontherecordpodcast.com. Uh, you can go there. That is the uh, website for the podcast. And there are options to subscribe in iTunes, Yahoo Podcasts, uh, Feed Demon, and other uh, popular um, podcast aggregators. Uh, some, some upcoming dates I want to mention. 
Um, I'm going to be doing an executive podcasting workshop, uh, which is going to be an intensive seminar for non-technical professionals in Los Angeles. That's a full-day event. Uh, that's going to happen on February 23rd. Uh, I am also going to be moderating a, a panel on um, uh, podcasts and video blogging at the Newcom Forum in Palo Alto on March 2nd. Um, you should also know that the, that um, uh, my colleagues, uh, Shell Holtz and Neville Hobson, will be doing uh, an intensive podcasting workshop at that event as well. And uh, they are um, uh, the, the hosts of... Uh, uh, for immediate release, the Hobson and Holtz Report, uh, which is a wonderful podcast uh, about the uh, collision, uh, the, the intersection of uh, corporate communications and new media. And I also am a uh, proud contributor to that show as well. Um, but if you are in the Palo Alto area, not in the L.A. area, and you want to uh, get some uh, experience in podcasting from some real experts, uh, that would be a, an excellent place to do it. I will also be presenting uh, for the PRSA LA Chapters Independent Practitioners Group um, an Executive's Guide to Blogging, RSS, and Tagging on March 14th. And uh, you can, um, that will be in LA if you want to attend that. I am also going to be uh, moderating a panel um, on podcasts, videocasts, for marketing and PR at AdTech um, San Francisco. That will be April 26th at Moscone Center. To uh, register for any of these events, at least for the time being, I'm going to ask you to go to www.schwartzmanpr.com. We are in the process of revamping our website, and uh, hopefully there won't be as many URLs to remember uh, in the future. But uh, for now, if you want to get information about registering for any of those events, uh, PR is the best place to do it. Uh, now, a word on this uh, podcast. It was recorded uh, actually live. I was uh, with Walt at a conference in Los Angeles, and uh, it was recorded uh, at a venue where there was uh, considerable background activity. Um, at one point, uh, you'll hear a school group uh, comes into the area where we were seated, and you hear the children in the background, and, um, and then we actually relocated to an area nearby, and uh, you'll hear some background activity, uh, some walkie-talkies, security personnel, that type of thing. But uh, for, you can make out what, what, uh, what he has to say, and it is quite interesting, uh, all of it. So uh, I hope you enjoy it, and we are going to play it for you after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Walt Mossberg, thanks so much for joining us. Well, I'm glad to be here. So the first question is, what does it take to get featured in your column? Um, it takes having a really interesting product that is going to, in my opinion, uh, either enhance the life of uh, mainstream digital consumers or, uh, or the other way you can get in my comms is to have a heavily hyped product that actually isn't very good. Uh, those are the two main paths. 
Now, you started the column for the journal in 91 when there was much less information available online. From a practical standpoint, has the growth of the web changed the way you find, research, and qualify stories? Sure. Um, let me say that I've been online almost every day since 1983 um, when I was, was going on, you know, text-based services like CompuServe and local bulletin boards in those days. So I've always drawn uh, part of my worldview and part of my kind of storehouse of information from online sources long before the web. Um, however, the tremendous increase in the availability of stuff online has affected me just like it, it has affected everybody in the media business and beyond the media business. So for instance, small example, uh, I used to have piles of press kits in my office. You know, the company would send out a press release, it would be on paper, it would uh, be accompanied by these reviewers' guides and fact sheets and things about the products that they uh, had and that you might want to review. Well, I don't have that anymore because I figure I can find specs and details and the company's point of view on its own products and pricing and all of that stuff online. But it goes beyond that. I mean, I read, I, you know, I've always had competitors. That's a good thing in a free market. And of course, I always read my competitors in print. Uh, I have more competitors now because there are a number of websites that cover personal technology, and I read them as well. Um, so uh, reading your competitors or reading people who are not your competitors but who have a perspective on things, uh, the world is broader and deeper, and uh, I certainly try to participate in that. Do you ever find out or discover new companies or products solely through search? No. No, I can't say I've ever discovered a new company or product. Well, I don't think I've ever discovered a new company or product that was worthy of writing about solely through search. In other words, it is not one of my techniques to sit down and type in digital camera in Google and then see what comes up. Uh, when you have a widely read column, whether it would be online or in print, or in my case, I'm both online and print, uh, about anything, the companies and organizations you cover uh, come to you and tell you stuff. So all, in the case of, say, digital cameras, every major brand of digital camera comes to see me a couple of times a year and shows me products that are not released yet. So I don't have to randomly go through and search on Google. I'm in the flow of those product uh, briefings. Now, somebody may email me and say, have you looked at this digital camera, which I've never heard of? And in that case, I will go to their website. And sometimes those have resulted in me writing about those products. But search itself, I use search, of course, like everyone does all the time. But not in the way that you that you suggest. Well, obviously you cover major news events from a personal technology standpoint, a consumer electronics standpoint, but do you ever find something, sort of a diamond in the rough that isn't heavily hyped or isn't, you know, being thrown your way and briefing requests that you oh, think absolutely. is interesting? And if I, so, I certainly do. How, do you, how does, does technology play a role in how you find it? Of course. Uh, I spend hours and hours a day on the internet and sometimes what I'm doing is shopping and sometimes what I'm doing is reading the general news or 
entertainment, but a lot of what I do, half or more of what I do every day on the web, is directly related to what I write about. So of course I encounter things on the web that I might not have known about through normal channels. Uh, but I also would repeat that sometimes, you know, I get 350 emails a day, not counting spam. And companies pitch me through those emails and readers tell me about products that they've either had a bad or a good experience with. And, and so uh, all of it goes into the, into the hopper. When you visit a company's website, you mentioned you expect to find specs, pricing. What else do you, what are your expectations when you go to a company website? What do you expect to find there? Well, I have different expectations for me than I do for the general reader in the sense that if I'm visiting that website... For you, for you specifically as a journalist. um, I expect to find a complete and easy to navigate and and to search um, collection of their press releases, collection of their reviewers' guides, their spec sheets, their FAQs. I expect to find, and this one is not very common, unfortunately, but I expect to find high-resolution images that a publication, either online or in print, could use. And, um, uh, you know, executive bios and email addresses for the key, not just the PR people, but some of the key management people. And again, that's typically hard to find, that last one. But um, it, it has, that has certainly made, if you are covering products as opposed to, you know, wars or other things that journalists cover, if you're covering products or businesses, uh, the web is a fabulous resource. If the web had only been invented for journalists covering products and businesses, it would have been a revolution right there. From your perspective, as a personal technology journalist, what makes a company website outstanding? For a journalist? Yeah, from your perspective as a technology journalist. I just think that, you know, the, the depth of information about the company's businesses and products is what I judge it by. I don't, I get annoyed by company websites that have too much animation or sort of uh, uh, useless pages that are just there to make the company look distinguished or something. I'm, I'm really interested in the meat of the material there. Now, do you monitor any of the, uh, the PR news wires or business wire or market wire? Do you pay attention to those? No, not at all. I never go to their websites. I, I, I basically find them only useful in a purely archival sense. Here's how I use them. First of all, many companies will email me their press releases. You know that that's the principal means of distribution now. So if that press release is on PR Newswire, one of these things, I may encounter it in that way. But um, the only way I directly use the websites of those PR distribution companies is, and really it's not even direct, I will sometimes do a search in Factiva, or even in Google, but this is especially true in Factiva, for some detail of a company or product I'm completely unfamiliar with, or if I want to reach out to a company and ask some questions about a product, but I really haven't dealt with them much, and I want to know who the contact is. 
We, we are being joined by a school group, so we'll have some, some nice background noise from them, but as long as we can hear. They're very excited. They're coming in and all grabbing chairs and tables. And uh, they actually are pretty cute, I must say. Okay, go ahead, I'm sorry. They're very cute. Um, so I will go to Factiva and I will look up a press release, mostly in order to get the name and email address or phone number of uh, the appropriate PR person. I, I know that PR Newswire has all sorts of alerting services and things. I, I simply don't use it. I never use it. Now, do you think that the paid newswire services that we're talking about offer lesser-known companies with a valid way for getting their news to journalists? You know, I don't know anything about them, to be honest. I just don't know anything about them. I actually would say that in the, in the uh, current environment, a small company can just email someone like me directly and doesn't need PR Newswire. Are you using RSS to What do you monitor? mean am I using it? Are you using RSS as a technology to keep abreast of certain discussions that are happening in the blogosphere? Uh, the answer is that, uh, of course, I use RSS, yes. I have uh, an RSS reader, and I use it to track all kinds of different things. Do you see it having long-term viability? And more specifically, how might it potentially disrupt conventional distribution models like broadcasting and cable? Well, I don't think it's going to disrupt broadcasting and cable at all. I think most of the web is a print medium, and it, most of its disruption is aimed at print. Now, obviously, there's video, there's audio. We're doing a podcast now, and there are podcasts uh, all over the web. But today, most of the content of the web is text and print. And so most of its disruptive effect has been on print media. With the exception of the fact that as it competes for the time and attention of readers in the grossest sense, it does cut into things like television viewing. Now, while they obviously do not provide the same level of analysis and perspective as you do, Certainly, Boing Boing and Gadget and Gizmodo are regularly among the 10 most popular destinations in the blogosphere. Now, you mentioned that you do sort of track blogs out there. Um, do they have any effect on what you decide to write about? Um, I read all three of those blogs. I actually don't think Boing Boing belongs in that group at all. You don't? It, it's, it's virtually, it's not about gadgets or products for the most part at all. How is it different? It just doesn't cover the same things. It covers, it's a, it's, I mean, I read it, so I like it, and I think it's a worthwhile and a good blog, but I don't think it has, I would just wouldn't put it in the same categories in Gadget or Gizmodo. It's a different thing. Um, so the answer is I read those things. Many of the things they report about I've, I already know about. I don't, I'm not trying to be egotistical, but you know it's my job. So, right. whereas somebody who's just a, a consumer coming to those sites wouldn't know about it, I do know about a lot of it. Some of the things they put in there I don't know about, but I don't care about. And then there's a small proportion of things that I would care about that I find out about first on those blogs. But they don't really influence. I can't think of a case since you asked the question. I can't. 
I can't think of a case where something I read there led me to cover something or not cover something. The, you know, they would tell you that they're not doing reviews. See, I don't write columns to just say, hey, this thing exists. Isn't this cool? Here's the new six-month six rev of some cell phone. Or here's yet another digital camera with pretty similar specs. I don't want to sound anti-blog or egotistical because I'm not. It certainly is possible that someday on some blog I'll see something and decide I have to write about it or decide not to write about it or change my view of it. It just hasn't happened yet. But I do keep myself informed about things uh, sure. every day. A couple of times a day by looking at all those websites and blogs. And it's just that you asked me specifically had I decided to write about something of something I saw there, right. and I don't think that has happened yet. Well, what do you make of what bloggers and all these new media evangelists are calling, you know, a revolution in personal publishing? I mean, is it a bunch of hot air, or are we really living through a time of significant change with respect to the way people consume media and information and the credibility and influence that that media has? Well, it's not hot air at all. I mean, it's perfectly obvious we're living through a time that is revolutionary in terms of both the uh, consumption and uh, uh, publishing of information, uh, particularly journalism. Uh, it's changing tremendously and uh, it has been changing in one way or another for 50 years because of the advent of television and so forth, but certainly the last 10 years have seen a truly accelerated uh, amount of change. And again, this is a good thing. It's a good thing for the world that more people can practice journalism. It doesn't mean it's good journalism. Some of it is, some of it isn't. But in a, in a free society, you get it all. And so um, uh, I'm, all, I'm all for it. I also think, however, that consumers, readers, viewers will make their choices about what's best and what's most relevant and what's most balanced or what has their point of view or, or, uh, or a whole host of factors. But I am uh, uh, pro-blogging, I am pro-web journalism, I am pro the expansion of voices that are available to people, whether it's on the topics I write about or any one of a million other topics. I mean, look, there's, there's 1,200 news people at the New York Times. There's 600 news people at the Wall Street Journal. There's gotta be hundreds or thousands of people just as good who didn't happen to get a job there. And the fact that we have lowered the barrier to entry for, uh, you know, for publishing means that some of those people are gonna get hurt and read, and that's cool. On a topical note, there's plenty of suspicion about the possibility that Google might ultimately enter the desktop software business by offering software that you would access over the internet. Do you think we'll see the day when the majority of people Will use software that they log into over the internet instead of actually buying and owning a physical CD that you load onto your computer? Well, first of all, most software is no longer distributed on physical CDs. Even though it isn't running from servers on the internet, you do download most software that you install today. Not the huge things like Microsoft Office, but most of the small programs. If you go into a computer store, 
uh, you know, there's much less self shelf space for box software than there used to be. And in my own work, you know, when I started writing my columns 14 years ago, if I wanted to review software or if a company wanted me to look at their software, they sent me a box. And I literally used to be surrounded by piles of boxes of software in my office. And that's just not true anymore because mostly if they pitch me on something, they'll say, here's the link, here's the key, you know, download it. So already we've moved beyond boxes of software. Secondly, uh, Google already distributes software that runs partly over the internet and partly on your computer. Google Desktop, uh, which is, and I mean the new version of their desktop search, which has like a side panel that runs alongside Windows, has a local, what they call client, meaning a piece of software that can access the internet, and then a whole bunch of things on Google servers that, uh, that it accesses, or on your own hard disk that it pulls up. Uh, and Google actually has started distributing a kind of pack of um, open source software that not all of which they make. So they're in that business. I expect them to continue to be in that business. And I do think we will see a day when you will log in to most of your software somewhere out on the web. But I would modify slightly what I take to be the thrust of your question. It's not going to be one or the other. You're always going to have a little local client that will uh, draw on that code that's on the server. In other words, it's not going to be like you're in a web browser and the whole thing will come through. Some of that already happens in some cases that'll be the form it takes. But there's going to be a lot of cases where uh, you'll have a local client that will access uh, additional features or power on a server. So it's a mix, it'll be a mixed model, I think. And then just a final question. Do you think we should be trying to prevent Google, Yahoo, Microsoft, and Cisco from helping the Chinese crack down on dissidents and censor the web through legislation? I don't know if we should be doing it through legislation or through the market, but I think that those companies' cooperation in censorship in China is shameful and deserves to be opposed in some way or another. Thanks a lot for talking to me. I appreciate it. No problem. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.